Welcome to the grant, the EU funding podcast. My name is Nils Tullevinder and I am the creator, editor and host of The Grant. The Grant is an independent, non-commercial podcast initiative with the ambition to dig into all corners of the EU R&D funding system on topics of interest for the full EU R&D funding community. I slowly build up information and content on different funding schemes. I started out with Horizon Europe Pillar 2 and have moved into European Defence Fund, the ERC and the Erasmus Plus programs. More is to come, even. The next two weeks I will be looking into proposal preparation within the Erasmus Plus funding scheme. As regular listeners will know, I have developed the timeline series that goes through the proposal preparation process step by step. That is for Horizon Europe Pillar 2 proposals, but has a lot of generic elements that also apply to funding schemes in general. However, there are important specificities for each funding scheme and how to prepare the proposals for each of them. To provide guidance on how to prepare a proposal for the Erasmus Plus program, I have invited three strong capacities on Erasmus Plus into the virtual podcast studio. Diana Huber, Chief Operations Officer, CPIP, Christina Achilleas, Founder and EU Funding Expert from InnoInnosphere, and Ulla Alexander Martel, Director and Consultant from Eurocom. I have all years of practical experience developing proposals for the Erasmus Plus program. This first half of the double episode, we dig into all the preparatory steps you need to do before the writing phase sets in, in order to have as smooth a proposal developing work as possible, including idea development, developing the project concept, consortium building, and how to best involve the partners in the developing phase. This is a must-listen for all Erasmus Plus proposal developers, no matter the experience. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Grand, the EU funding podcast. Today, <clears throat> oh, it's like this throughout the summer period when you insist, when you insist on continuing doing your podcast throughout the summer and the holidays. I am on holiday now. I'm a Bucharest, a wonderful Bucharest uh, with my family. And uh, but I did plan a podcast recording. Of course, uh, everything rolls, even though that uh, the, the the holidays are here. So I am having. A nice panel today. I'll get back to that. But just to say that is actually part of the discourse of the grand is that I roll no matter what because there are always people sitting and doing proposals. So it's actually a point. It's not just because I have frequency, which is good for a podcast flow, but it's actually because I know that there are many people out there that are doing work anyways throughout these uh, these periods where other people they go and take a dip in the sea or the pool or whatever. Nah. Um Welcome back, I can say to all three of you, because we're going to talk about Erasmus and we're going to talk about proposal preparation today. This is a panel that's been a, a long uh, time on the way, but it's always like this when you need to gather more people at the same time. Now, Diana, welcome. Hi, hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here with colleagues, with like-minded people. That's always a joy and happy to represent the profession, the science fiction writers 
uh, in the genre of uh, grant development, right? Mm -hmm. We are here with the Erasmus team. And Christina, welcome. Hi, Niels. Great to be with you once more. Uh, like Diana said, with like-minded uh, colleagues, uh, you know, dear professionals, and I really know that we are all passionate with what we do. So it's always a great pleasure to share our insights and expertise on proposal development for Erasmus, our start program of Europe. This is how I call it because, you know, I really, really uh, love this program. Uh-huh. And uh, Ulla, welcome. Yes, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And I, I'm quite excited to also hear about the views of uh, uh, our two other colleagues who have not met before. So I'm very curious about hearing their views on how they prepare their proposals. Um, it's going to be good. Indeed. Uh, just to take your listeners for a quick uh, callback. So, Diana, you've been in into the studio before to talk about Erasmus Plus and NGOs, how you work with that in your organization. Christina, you have been in the studio before to share about a four-week working uh, day that you managed in your the company that you used to work for. And you've been in here for my first uh, Q&A uh, concept, uh, just uh, recorded uh, a couple of weeks ago and will be released this Monday. And Ulla, you were the one did doing the, the actual, uh, the grant authoritative introduction to the Erasmus Plus program. Uh, over two periods, so uh, it's a, it's a nice set of people here that uh, that indeed uh, has a lot of experience on Erasmus. And just to have a short introduction to you all, as we talk pre pre recording here, not a long one because uh, we have to go to to the content itself. And you've been all here before, but Diana, can you say a few words about yourself and and where you work? Yes, uh, so it was a very, very enticing first experience, and now you got me hooked on the podcasting arena. Um, I come from Timisoara, Romania. I work for Center for Promoting Lifelong Learning. We are an NGO uh, founded in 2006, and I have joined full-time uh, the management team in 2012, Bachelor in Educational Sciences, master in public policy, trained lobbyist, but apparently I cannot get myself unstuck from the grant writing, which is something that I do since I graduated uh, my school. Good, thanks. Christina, shortly about yourself. So, um, Christina Gileos uh, from Larnaga, Cyprus. Um, interestingly, I've never mentioned about my background. I have uh, uh, my degrees on in business and I have a Master of Science in Marketing. And uh, I have joined, uh, you know, the world of uh, national and EU funding programs as a grant writer since uh, 2014. So I have approximately 10 years of experience uh, at this moment. Uh, since uh, December, uh, I have founded in Noyusphere, it's a newly established uh, SME. Um, we are aiming actually to promote uh, participatory uh, and innovative training programs, specifically under vocational education training. So we would like to prepare uh, a number of target groups for the, you know, for the marketplace of tomorrow. So we are investing a lot of our time on capturing the need of developing skills, specifically under sustainability, green transition, etc. Thanks. Ulla. 
yes, so about me. Um, I'm based in Brussels. Uh, I work, uh, I have a lot of different hats, but I work for, um, my main job is to work for a French consultancy where I'm the project director for EU and non-EU projects, I would say. So we don't only focus on EU funding, but also on other projects. Um, we work a lot with uh, regional development, uh, with uh, energy uh, in the tourism sector. So we work with destinations on, on local development, uh, especially linked to anything that has to do with sustainability criteria, certification and so on. Um, as for EU projects at the moment, they are also very much linked to tourism, culture and education. Uh, especially uh, vocation and education and training because uh, we work a lot with professionals and SMEs. Um, so this is our current focus uh, in that area. And uh, my background is uh, ooh, uh, languages. I studied with linguistics um, and then uh, uh, cultural policy. I moved into education, then into sustainability. Um, I've lived in quite a few European countries, but I got stuck in Brussels uh, and I've been there for, yes, a very long time. And uh, yeah, one of those people who people arrived there thought they were staying for six months and then they're still hooked, still there. And uh, yes. Um, and then so I'm also very much uh, connected to EU affairs uh, and education policy and on these areas. I've worked in this area and uh, and so I'm very, so this all comes into the work I do. Uh, I'm very closely, uh, as you know, anyway, Niels, uh, in this um, space. Excellent. Good. Ladies, let's hit it. Um, we're going to talk about how to prepare proposals for, uh, for the Erasmus Plus program. And I know that you have several categories under Erasmus plus uh, that requires a different approach. But I think um, we should stick to the ones that are most commonly approached. Um, and you are the experts in here. So maybe we start off with a fly-in to, if you share a little bit about uh, the program in general, how it is if you can say any few generalizations about what it is to prepare an Erasmus Plus proposal. Diana? Yes, like I said in the in the beginning, I really believe that we are co-producing a, a fantasy storytelling up to up to a point. We are storytellers. That is the pure truth. And the evaluators get behind the the technical casing which gets stripped away immediately when an application is written they will get to see the juicy uh, pieces of our story so we need to be credible we need to believe first and foremost the story that we are telling and we need to have uh, data and uh, examples and anecdotes and narratives and inspiring uh, practices all put together in what we want to develop. So before starting, I think we need to have it clear for ourselves what we want to do and what is the ground reality, what is the reality that we are addressing, not 
what is most fitted, suited, or likely to get funded uh, against the call for proposals. Uh-huh. Christina? Definitely, you know, you know share uh, Diana's opinion. I would add that uh, one of the key aspects is really reflecting how your project is offering a societal impact, okay? Because definitely Erasmus is emphasizing very much on the areas of of training, networking, sharing best practices, and collaboration on a European level. But we really need to step back and reflect what is the bigger idea of my project and how am I really, really helping the target groups, the key stakeholders potentially involved in a project and other um, uh, stakeholders that might be involved or would be, let's say, interested in the final outputs of a project once it uh, it is approved and implemented. So uh, going back to the to the root of all European programs, which is actually taxpayers' money, then definitely we need to, you know, uh, make sure that we are offering a real impact. This is for me the you know the the, the highlight of preparing. Uh, a very good proposal under Erasmus. Thanks. Ulla? Uh, yes. Uh, um, it just gets me thinking because uh, it makes me think of uh, the challenges I mentioned when we last spoke in the podcast. Um, I think the impact, you know, just to follow up on that, I just think that's a, a, a real problem. And for me, um the, the the issue is the 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 limited life of a project uh and and the the little time that is available to generate this impact so i think uh the the commitment and uh, of the partners and their level of seriousness in actually wanting to have this impact uh, or see this impact uh is a key factor for any kind of success i think Sort of hitting a, a sour uh, sour toe here, right? Uh, from the commission side, because not only to, it's not it's these Erasmus plus projects are within a an area where things can very easily evaporate when there's no more funding, right? It's not like a technology product where you can commercialize it through patents, so on and so forth. This is something that very, if you don't have dieharders, you know, like taking it forth after the project ends, then it's difficult. But we will get back to this when we talk about it. I'm not going to kill the discussion, but we will get back to it, obviously, uh, when we move into. I'm going to try to keep some sort of chron- chronology here um, on on the way to do a, a proposal. I have never done an Erasmus Plus proposal, so I'm basing I'm basing my knowledge, feedback, and questions on preparing Horizon and life proposals and whatever else I've been doing. But there are some general, there are some generic elements, right? So if we start with uh, the preparations um, and looking into how that is being done, so when you uh, when you when you build something up from the beginning, it's the same, right? You have a you have a project idea that either you have in your mind or someone else came to you with. Um, but maybe can you tell me 
uh, let's start having a talk about how you start working with these things. Because uh, you, when you work with so many Erasmus proposals, and I know both, especially Diana and Christina, you often do many at the same time flow like this so it must be quite it must be quite kind of industrial have, have industrialized the approach to when when you have the concept how to shape the concept from a, a seed so let's start with that seed when you have a client or yourself with an idea what happens then diana can you can you share with us what happens in your head <laughs> and what happens with the creativity and how you work with that creativity to 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 uh, calibrate that to to the cold text uh, requirements. Yeah, uh, studying European public policy helps a lot because <laughs> you you start you know from this fairy tale and you get the fantasy of the uh, context and you get the oh we want to change and we want to support this kind of people and the target group and we want to develop something and then you say okay. We have the rainbow narrative with all the money in the world, and this is what we would do. Now we go on to the very technical side. Going back to the Lisbon Treaty, and by the way, if you don't, if you haven't read Lisbon Treaty, you have all uh, already a, a minus in our profession. Going back from there. <laughs> Uh, all the way into the lifelong learning programs, going all the way into what we have now. What is the level of narrative in the European politics. Who says what in the domain? Which DG has an opinion about it? Who butts heads with who in this topic? What are the major researches? But don't go on the rabbit hole of the research because this is not fundamental development. This is Erasmus. This is more towards public policy. This is more towards the politics of from where the money comes. And then go and see what has been developed in the public policy of Europe. We have so many think tanks, so many uh, researchers that do policy briefings, so much uh, flow of information that it is highly relevant. And the more you read, the more you have the possibility to find that single approach that maybe not so many had. And uh, if you find that one that no one had, it's even even more spectacular. But it's a lot of reading, cross-referencing, doing the research, doing the brave narrative of putting policies back to back and see where the inconsistency is in the public discourse and how that affects the field that uh, the field that you want to develop. And now we are all suffering tremendously at the hands of the, the two DGs that govern mostly our world, which is DG EAC and DG Employment, because they have policies that go a bit on different routes, on education and learning, on labor market, on skills, over competencies, and this whole narrative. And if you don't do the digging, it is going to be very complicated to have a flow in your storytelling. Okay, so you dig into this background knowledge. Mm -hmm. And what happens next? 
you have an idea, you have a client, you have a, a, one of your stakeholders that you're writing for, and then you what? You take the idea and calibrate it towards this back curtain from the commission. Yep, and then exactly. take notes, take notes and uh, put the text and put an argument. You know, like in the American movies where you have, uh, they go into the uh, court of law and they ha have the opening statement. Write your opening statement. Write your argument of your PhD thesis of your lifetime. Uh, write the statement of your Nobel uh, Prize uh, award. It's a, a, a dramatic piece where you pour, you pour your hair, your head and your soul and all the knowledge stating why this is a burning issue why you really need the money to solve it and how things could be done better or more efficient or whatever it is. And just actually write two pages of Word and you will find that from those two pages you could generate uh, outputs, outcomes, you could generate the objectives or the aim or just write two pieces, two, two pages of a narrative piece. Uh -huh. Um, Ulla, is this something you can recognize, the approach? Uh, yes, um, but I do it the other way around. Uh, I Well, it's a bit of a sort of, uh, first of all, for me, is the idea in the sense that I look at what are the needs at a more of a country level, at a national level. Uh, uh, then I go back to the public policy or the European uh, um, policy documents and so on to make the link, to understand fully the link between the national needs and what is uh, the actual idea I have to see how that fits in. And then I back it up uh, from both sides uh, as I develop the idea. Um, so it's like a, a bit of a, a juggling exercise. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, the essential thing uh, to, to guarantee this kind of impact that I'm looking for is to really have uh, people on board who, have, um, who, who want to solve an issue already uh, before I go back to find the sort of European uh, background, where, how this fits into the policy. Um, so it's a bit bit different, I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Christina? So um, I think that I am mostly, you know, aligned with uh, Diana's approach. However, I always, always go back to the priorities of the program of Erasmus+. Plus. So I make like a consistency alignment under the horizontal and the thematic priorities just to check if it definitely aligns with those priorities and how the, you know, the idea can be further elaborated to become more innovative and offering a, a new perspective. So I'm not going to share anything more because definitely if you ask me, I mean, this question without Diana answering, I would say the same, study and read a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. So same process, just align everything with the, with the priorities. Do you, and you can, uh, by the show of hands, and then we'll take it like this, do you 
do you work with your client or in some any sort of workshop ish when you have a group of partners on board, or do you sit with this here in the beginning uh, when you start off yourself? Should I? Please, please, yeah, Diane. Um, usually, at I mean, always at CPIP, we work on a partnership principle. So uh, not that we would not be able, but it hasn't come across to do a consultancy approach. We are always mm. partners in projects. Okay. And being for so long in the industry, we know the expertise of the partners. We are available in Europe, more or less. And if we start the writing process on a specific topic, we generally choose the topics where we have something to say on, where we actually know the reality. As we talked before in in the last time we met in your podcast, I'm specialized in criminal correctional justice. So I've been to so many prisons in Europe and outside of the Europe that I don't need any partner to tell me how it works because sometimes I know better how it works in their country than they are aware of. Um, then it's all about finding the correct context, the correct the correct uh, policies, and showcasing to the partners you want to join this idea because it's not very often that we sit in a group and have a detailed elaborate discussion and negotiate things because sometimes we don't actually have the time that is pure and pragmatic answer most of the mm. times that's the case right <laughs> yeah time is scarce Yes. Uh, Christina, Ula, are you are you doing group work when you uh, do these things, or do you take input and then write it yourself? Uh, as for myself, uh, I, I don't do any group work. Uh, I think uh, I've come to the conclusion that I think the proposal is more coherent and you can be more efficient uh, if you do it yourself. However. I have discussions with all of the partners to understand what their needs are, what they can do exactly, uh, what they are planning to do with the project uh, in the long run, um, and how this fits into the work they are currently carrying out. Because, I mean, obviously, there are, we need to um, have credible uh, and very sort of... Uh, uh, convincing uh, uh, arguments in the, in the actual application and to have the answers from the partners and not like guessing or whatever uh, is key, I mean, uh, to make it good uh, and also for it to have any, any kind of impact. Um, and I'm also an evaluator. And when you're an evaluator, you kind of see it. You see it if the idea is genuine, if it's something the partners are dreaming about for years already uh, they are doing and it just perfectly fits into what they do every day or if it's something that is made up uh, uh you see it so yes and and trying when i write my own projects to keep that in mind uh and this aspect christina first of all i'd like to say that i'm really happy to hear uh, what Ula said from the evaluator point of view that she can actually see the projects <laughs> that were you know developed uh, through a team and this is what we have been discussing a couple of weeks ago together in, in, uh, in the previous podcast that definitely 
the you know it, it really makes a difference if you are co-developing a, a, a proposal. So uh, from my point of view, what I usually do and what I am you know aiming to achieve through my newly founded uh, company in OUSPR is to be partners in the in the projects that we are uh, developing. So uh, I don't either do any group, uh, let's say, uh, consultations. My basic uh, rule is that I am involved and eager to develop a proposal that I find meaning that the thematic area is aligned with, uh, you know, the areas that um, we have an expertise on, the team here, uh, and definitely a topic which I can be passionate about so that I can, you know, represent uh, in a very, very creative way in the in the proposal. So um, as a, you know, as a grant writer for so many years, I have, you know, my own uh, template of pre uh, presenting a, a concept note where, uh, you know, I present uh, the, the topic, the priorities, the challenge and how this challenge aligns with all the, uh, you know, uh, policies and uh, I don't know, maybe directives or other, other reports that are available out there. Um, share a bit on what we want to achieve. I mean, the actual deliverables of the project. And I would like to bring in another dimension into this discussion that for me is really important. I definitely, uh, when I'm, you know, um, inviting other partners to a project uh, uh, proposal, I always keep the initial uh, approach as to the consortium. So if I have confirmed partners already, I mention them. If I am, you know, I am aiming to invite some partners, but still they haven't confirmed, I mention them and make a note that they will confirm, you know, in due time. Why am I mentioning this? The, the team that is going to implement the project is actually the, the most vital aspect of the, of the project itself beyond what we want to achieve. Of course, I'm not, you know, um, how to say, uh, minimizing the role of the whole concept idea and what we want to develop. So having, let's say, this uh, asset being viable on the concept node for me is, you know, um, what to say, the, the plus, let's say, offering the added value of, of each project idea. I'm mentioning it because I, I see other approaches that people, other colleagues don't like to reveal which will be the consortium of this project. So, you know, I don't find any sense behind that. Mention the consortium. They are the people behind this project who will develop and implement the project if oh, it yeah. becomes funded. We are moving into uh, the sort of, uh, we're digging a, a, a little deeper now in terms of what happens when you step in starting preparing a proposal, right? Because it's always an issue, I can tell you, from PO, which is a huge company. Mm -hmm. uh, each consultant would have its own approach. They didn't have a standardized way that we were told to do these things. So in order, so in this phase where you're building up, where you're attracting partners, where you are sending out concept notes, um, it, it, it's, each would decide if it would be no one mentioned or everybody mentioned. I was of the last sort. I was always transparent and say, I, I need to share what's in there. I need to, sh to share what kind of organizations. But what, but for the listener to understand this, this is a matter of when people have um, thoughts, afterthoughts about this, is if if then 
your these organizations that you send to that they see that an organization is there that they might not like or they might that they're in another proposal or there there many many thoughts that some people have on development proposals to keep the names out to keep the 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 what do you say the uh, they don't reveal too much you know um, but for me i don't know, Christina, you have shared what you think about this, but for me, it was vital to share the consortium. What's it? Is it? Who's there? You know, who are you going to work together with? Exactly. Transparency for me is vital. It's key. I mean, you need to be transparent with the people that you're planning to work with, <laughs> you know, soon after a project is, uh, is approved, right? And not only that, as we mentioned in also in the previous podcast, you are co-developing this, uh, this project idea. You are not developing the project <clears throat> alone. It's not a solo effort here. So, yes, I mean, it's, uh, for me, it's vital. What about you, Diana? What do you do? I'm um, radicalized almost in the idea that uh, our profession needs to hold the highest standard of ethics. <laughs> Full stop. That is non-negotiable, that is non-debatable. It's not a, a, a thing to, to take lightly. Uh, I would always invite colleagues that I, to the best of my knowledge, of course, I can uh, be sure, share the same values, because that is first and foremost, we need to understand we work on public money. This is an investment that the European Union is making in its citizens. They're not our money. They're not for us. They are for supporting the needs of the end users. And when we talk about end users, I invite partners that besides the fact that they are ethical and they are not red flagged, and I, I know that they don't do shady practices to the best of my knowledge. The second thing is I will always invite partners that have access to my target group. I'm going to develop a proposal on capacity building on correctional system. Don't tell me that you know where the prison is located. Thank you. I can find it on the Google map. Tell me <laughs> if you have access tomorrow morning that the governor answers to your telephone. Don't sell donuts because we are not at that level. I need the partners to have access to target group, direct access, and I need the partners to be able to tell me how many, which color, how many polka dots, how many bows uh, on one <laughs> side of the rainbow. Give me those details that don't exist on Google. I don't ask and I don't offer details about country, whatever, or generic... This is why we have search engines. I can find in 20 minutes details about everyone that I work with, all the countries. That's my job. Give me the details that are not on Google, are not on Internet. Give me the statistics that are not on Eurostat. Help me beat them with their own weapons. Help me underline and pinpoint the real things that no system or platform or AI could ever put together in an application. I need to know the real stories of my end users, of my target group. And then, yes, we co-develop concept-wise. We co-produce as an idea, or more or less, are you behind this idea? Writing, no. Writing that is one hand or two hands uh, in desperation, But that's a solo nar narrative because I think we need to be credible and consistent in the words that we are using. 
Ulla, do you uh, share the consortium with uh, when you attract other partners? Yes. Uh, uh, well, if I don't, they will ask mostly anyway, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they will That's ask the, the other partners. Uh, and uh, and uh, sometimes uh, some of them already know each other anyway, and uh, then there are some new ones who uh, have never participated and. Uh, Yes, no, I don't see any reason why not uh, to share this. Um, what, what I can say also is I think this uh, approach of, of the concept note, I mean, uh, I think we have this in all projects. Um, I think we all have similar ways of doing this. Then there are good and bad concept notes, uh, those that don't have enough information and those that are have a structure done properly. So, I mean, I have also my own template. I think we all have our templates. Then the 10 pages. Uh, well, maybe not, but uh, <laughs> yes, uh, the, the, background the background information, the objectives, the target groups, the, the basic structure, at least of the projects and the partners. And, uh, and uh, yeah, maybe you get into more detail when you have confirmed the partnership. You, you also talk more in detail about the activities and so on in, in the concept note, um, especially once you have had the chance to talk to them in detail about developing the idea into a direction that suits everybody, obviously. Let's, uh, thanks, for we, we have two things I want to cover before we, we move on to actual writing. So in preparation you have, uh, so that's the concept note. And then your preparation yourself, how you sit and prepare yourself, so to say, in your own organization, because each consultant has a, an approach, right? Uh, you have to have things sort of, of systemized in your own end before you start such a big work. First thing, the concept note, uh, bridge into that, Uda, thanks for that. How do you guys work? Because I, you know, it was uh, every, again everybody could work with it. For me, I made a very structured one, uh, tried at least, uh, but not too long. Uh, but other consultants like to make them long. They might too. Some consultants they, they took things out that they thought were sensitive or right. But how do you work with these things, and how much do you share? In them? Because this is what you need to build up the consortium, right? This is the partner build-up phase where you need to to marketing uh, promote, so to say, the possibility. So how do you do that? Uh, Christina, can you share how you work with it? So um, I will uh, share uh, both from the internal preparation and with the preparation with, uh, with the partners, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So uh, internally, uh, I keep like uh, a separate, definitely folder for each uh, project, and it's uh, distinguished into the concept node, the the budget, the gun chart. Each work package has also again its own its own folder, and everything is uh, you know crafted individually uh, by the person who is uh, writing the, the the developing in full the project proposal. Let's say that in this case, it's myself. So, uh, and slowly, slowly, you know, I am uh, informing uh, as, I as I progress, uh, um, you know, the, the files and I reach a, a final stage before, uh, before the submission deadline. So same information is shared again with a colleague of mine internally. So if I have a person in my team, then uh, same approach. Now, uh, once let's say we have uh, confirmed uh, the partnership, 
for a project idea, then I usually uh, create a engine drive folder uh, where I invite the partners. I usually give the same access and editing rights uh, to the partners. It's very clear from the beginning who is developing the proposal uh, in full and is you know is um, is leading this this entire process. Uh, we distinguish the the roles, who is leading which work package, who will be the dissemination uh, leader, who will be the quality assurance leader, etc. If I need input, then we have everything in writing, communicated clearly to all partners with the set deadlines. Um, so everyone, you know, has undisrupted access to the project uh, being developed. This is more or less the approach that I am following to, you know, organize the work in, you know, in a transparent and uh, open manner with uh, with the team. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Diana? So I have first level, which is the initial thing, two pages explaining the aim and objectives and more or less activities, target group, and this is where we want to go with the consortium. And then uh, internally, so with everything, implementation, writing, with everything, we work on teamwork. We have purchased the license for the, the platform. So I keep their track, like checkboxes. Did I send the description? Did the partners reply? Did I ask for partner identification form where they write their details? Did they send me uh, answer to the questions that I asked? So I keep a track record of where I am in the process in case something happens, my manager could pick up. Um, then if the partnership is set, and I'm double checking that there are any, there are no oopsies. Everyone has PIC, OID, everyone is in the system, not to have panic attacks 10 minutes before the deadline closes and things like that. Then uh, if I have more partners than more partners in one country, I have the one that is my closest. And that partner is responsible for coordinating with the other partners from the same country. If I have multi-partnerships in different countries, then I try to delegate a bit, not to go crazy. Then in the second line, I have a detailed Excel that helps the partners understand word per, per word, activity, expectation, money, time, number of persons. Mm -hmm. And without this, my manager refuses to create my budget. So I have mm -hmm. to do it. And then once the partner sees exactly numerically what does it involve, sometimes it is the moment to signpost. I will have a problem. I cannot engage 100 people in a training. Please, can you reduce? Because this is not realistic for me. Or I can do on other target group, which is similar, but not exactly the same. Can we negotiate a bit the angle of approach or things like that? And then we are done. You don't ask me questions. You don't bug me because I don't bug you. Uh, trust that I'm a good narrator and I understand it and I get it and this is my daily job. So provide me with what is needed and trust the process because I do the same with my bug them with too many questions. I trust the process. It is as it is and to have the caveat that at the first project meeting, 
once we are done with the contracting, we will have a revamping, let's say, reinterpretation of the application form according with the reality once the things are contracted. So that that's from my side. Yeah, that's good because we are covering. Uh, but, but, oh, sorry, it's difficult to keep things aside. Uh, so it's, uh, it's it's preparation enough, but it's good. It's fine. Ula, uh, anything on your preparation uh, working with the group? Uh, already, I mean, I don't have a, because we mentioned it earlier. I don't have this industrialized approach uh, because I write uh, maybe one or two uh, on my own uh, for uh, during the year. And then I collaborate uh, with others, uh, share the work uh, on writing other proposals um, where we split the work in um, writing and budget and some the partner takes care of one aspect and I take care of another. Uh, so I'm not on my own. And also the partnership is kind of put together uh, jointly um, through our, our contacts. Uh, we discuss what works best for the topic that we're working on. So it's a different kind of a bit more of a small scale uh, approach. Uh, I don't... Um, uh, yes, I, 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 I very much for myself insist on, on, on less is more in terms of I want to have very good quality uh, and not quantity. So uh, I, I really focus on that. Uh, the way we organize it is usually we have something that we call an activity guide. Uh, once the idea uh, is validated by the partners. They receive an activity guide that details the whole, all the different details of, of all the um, work packages uh, um, with an indication of who we suggest being in charge of which, which aspect and also uh, the indicators for each of these activities uh, so that they ha have an idea of how many, uh, you mentioned it, Diana, 100 or 50, or how many participants are expected. And this activity guide is shared with everybody for feedback. And then, of course, uh, the, this is discussed and reviewed. And once we have the final agreement uh, for everybody about everything, uh, that's when the writing process starts for me. Now, you all three of you individually sort of touched upon um, the tool, yeah? the tools that we create when we do these things, uh, it's, uh, which are very, very important when you do this a lot. So all kinds of templates, internal template, background templates, templates you send out to the group, uh, concept note templates. Uh, you mentioned the tool now also. Uh, it's... Is it, uh, I, my best guess is that Diana and Christina, you have a whole uh, list. You have a whole very, very structured group of tools of different formats that you use both in, in before you start to write and when you do write. Is that correctly, <laughs> I assume? Christina? Yes, definitely. Definitely, of course. And uh... Uh, Diana mentioned this uh, this Excel file. Uh, if you see mine, it's it's kind of a funny story because there's tab another tab another tab checking things. Uh, but yes, I mean without it, if you are really, I mean, if you're investing your time in in grant writing things, and you know that from yourself, even mm -hmm. even 
that you were an active with Erasmus, but you wrote a lot of proposals yourself. Uh, yeah. So you know, so you know how it, how it is. So you really need to be consistent, very very organized. I think it's one of the uh, most essential, let's say, uh, uh, skills uh, for our uh, let's say field profession. I would say. So if you don't really utilize these tools, then you're kind of lost, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Diane. Yes, structured, uh, not as structured as my German manager would like me to be, but uh, <laughs> but I'm doing but I'm doing my best. It's I've been too many times on those panic moments where I wake up at three in the morning wondering, did that person reply or not, or have I forgot to send this document <laughs> to be signed, and. In order to avoid as much as possible those things, because a lot of things we do in our industry are one-man show. If I didn't send it, it's full stop. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. There are yeah. no backups to this. So, yes, you need to have a, a backtraceable line of steps, because if you manage to get the grant, you need to know exactly what I meant where I put this why is there this word and not the other? And, you know, these kind of things. Why did mm -hmm. this partner has a different set of indicators than everyone else? Because you forget things. Unfortunately, yeah. we work on a time lag. We work, we apply in, in uh, March and we maybe start to work in November. Yes. And then you need to have all put in some sort of archive to, to backtrack. Mm -hmm. This is why I mentioned that with the partners, I usually make a shared G drive folder where we add everything in a very organized manner. Everyone has access. So yes, if we are funded, we have a very, very nice reference point to start from. Yes. How much do you control that? Because I remember, I know Erasmus Plus is not the same. But you would also have big consortiums with us. But I'm, now I've, I've been working with consortium with 30, 35, 40 partners, right? And at some stage, uh, there's no. In the beginning, we would uh, regulate it <laughs> access to what what section they would have access to, and especially in the last two weeks, <laughs> uh, you would have very hard measures of who could access what uh, and do whatever they want to do. I don't, how do you work with these things <laughs> with regulating access, and uh, especially if you work with what eight. Erasmus proposes in parallel, I don't know, uh, Diana, four or five. <laughs> yeah, uh, my biggest number of partners in a uh, funded Erasmus is 15. So that okay. is as yeah, high yeah. As, uh, as I go. After it's, that, it's I, I go crazy and no, that's Thanks. too much. <laughs> that's <laughs> <No. my> <laughs> but... Um, at the writing phase, it's on a need-to-know basis. You need to, you want to know something, send an email and ask me. I'm yeah. not sharing because there are a lot of things to discuss here that goes to the to the copyright, that goes to the intellectual property, that goes to the ethical practices in our profession. And we all know that if you are a very good writer, all you need is a little too detailed 
project uh, presentation and you don't need anything else you get your your project gets going so uh, if there are things that my partners want to know excellent i'm in the proposal writing moments i'm 24 hours on call mm-hmm. call me write me text me i will discuss with you everything but don't ask me to make things too public because i've i was beaten a couple of times and it it's very very hurtful and i'm not going that route again Ula, any comments on this i agree i agree you know i i i i fully agree what uh, with what diana said um there is um there is this sort of a fine line between uh there that well there has to be a a trust with the partners that that's essential and uh that's why we tend to go back to partners we have worked with uh and uh, where it has worked well and uh where we know uh we can actually share information because uh, it's fine uh and that is something that is um a relief also uh, that you don't have to hide things from people because you're worried that something will happen with it um and it's uh that's that's a good partnership um that you want to go back to and that then you stay with some partners the problem uh, from an evaluator evaluator's point of view is uh when you start seeing too much of this uh too much of the same people working on very similar topics uh year after year and uh that the evaluators see this uh, and the agency sees it also and points it out to the evaluators before yeah. the evaluation starts. So there are some tricky things here about this as well. Normally, when you develop, or when I develop something, at least, and, and what the colleagues that I've seen, then you have a certain flow. You have working, where you have working package, work package group. Uh, that is divided and you have work package group leaders and they take lead on discussions in those and that can be quite complex sometimes uh, depending on the number of work packages. But as I can understand, work packages are normally a little lower numbers in, in Erasmus proposals than they would be in, in in Horizon proposals sometimes, but correct me if I'm wrong. But how, but you would still work, there would still be the same issue here, right? In in In... If we look at the work that needs to be done and you need to creatively in the subgroup, so to say, the activities they would do, they need to discuss them and find out what, how do we handle this activity, this activity, what's the flow and what is the connection between us and the other work package group and so on and so forth. How do you work with these things? Um, Diana. Um, these things get worked, like you mentioned, in the implementation phase. In the application phase, I ask the partners that I trust most or have the CV that is relevant for a particular work package, and I've refused to have more than six work packages because I know myself I will get bored in writing, and the last work package has the fewest words and is the most expedite. <laughs> so no, I have a limit to my patience, but I just ask partners which are most uh, relevant for that particular topic if they feel comfortable in leading the work package. And of course, they get allocated a bit more um, hours 
in, in the budget and they need to be aware. I request from all my work package leaders to set up an implementation strategy for that particular work, work project that's non-negotiable. I need implementation strategy and I need a calendar and I need instruments with which you monitor the partners within the work package because this is why I will allocate more hours and more budget for you. Trust me that I'm writing the work package correctly for your needs, and that's all. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not into this debating phase because I don't have that much time. Okay, then, because then I need to understand which, how did you all prepare horizon proposals? Ula, I know you did, Christina, also. Did you prepare, uh, prepare horizon proposals, yeah? Out of a sheer mistake, and it was the third on the list, but only two got funded. So it was like <laughs> a, a bust for me. Christina, um, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Or you can relate to the way of working, because it's often horizon, if it's technology at least, or innovation processes. There are some complex things that are broken down into quite uh, substantial work packages. Is it not relevant in relation to Erasmus to talk about this? Is that how do? You... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, I, I am. You know, as I said, I'm coming from a background of writing grant applications for innovative SMEs. So I started from the SME Instrument Program, which then turned mm-hmm. to ES Accelerator under Horizon. So I definitely, definitely align to what you are saying, right? In any case, the the approach under Erasmus is slightly, let's say, different, first of all, for the cooperation okay. partnership yep. projects. I mean, the projects which are, as we said, between 12 to 36 months maximum, and we see uh, relatively small partnerships of around six, maximum seven partners from, from, uh, from the EU. Then my approach as a grant writer is the following. I develop the Gantt chart and I conceptualize exactly the work plan, the methodology. So from work package one to work package five, this is the maximum number of work packages that we are allowed to present with the new uh, program guide of Erasmus in the new programming period. So for each work package, I create my tasks. I design and delegate the work package leader to each uh, work package based on my experience and to the best of my knowledge that this partner will be able to deliver and that they are very, very, you know, relevant to the work package uh, developed. And what I do usually is individually contact each work package leader, ask them to approve the tasks that they're going to lead and ask for their input. If there is something that I cannot, let's say, develop sufficiently in the proposal, let's say that the work package is really technical and I need their insights and know-how, then I will delegate the writing to them. But mostly, uh, let's say writing, uh, developing a proposal for cooperation partnerships, I try to, you know, uh, gather input, but develop the whole thing, let's say, individually. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, for the Alliances for Innovation call, which is, uh, you know, a centralized action, we are talking about the formation of partnership of around, let's say, 13 to 15 partners maximum. Then you are, you know, discussing, let's say, more innovative aspects and you are actually required to present more technical details. Then, yes, if there is a partner who is uh, really, really, um, uh, you know, um, has to present the real value and technical information, they can have their work package. They will develop it and I then will uh, oversee and align the consistency of their work to the overall proposal. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. So that it's a, so you do work like this, but not always. Yes, for the smaller projects, I explained for the for the centralized yeah. actions. Yes, as I said, if there is a really really you know meaningful uh, input from the partner, I will delegate the work to them. Of course, if they are able to write it, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then it will still need to confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ulla, do you have any any comments to this? Yes, I, I, I was going to say the same because there is a big difference. I mean, now we have small scale projects, we have uh, the cooperation partnerships. And when you move to the alliance, uh, it's, it's, uh, the method gets uh, slightly more sophisticated uh, because you need more input from the partners. Uh, you need more detailed information. And um the, the the page number for the alliances has been reduced also so you have to explain more in fewer pages mm-hmm. um and you don't have uh, you don't have the necessarily the 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 character limit that you have in the applications online for um for the the cooperation partnerships because there you know exactly how much you can write for each question but for the alliances you have to decide yourself because it's the the page number that counts uh, the maximum page number and so there is a yeah there is a, a juggling also in terms of how you how you allocate where you where you put the emphasis in 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 the content also and and how the partners contribute to this and uh, definitely alliances i have written the partners have more uh, are more important uh, you need to involve them and consult them much more closely okay um i think that's clear um do you oh do you have do you have have general consortium meetings through the proposal phase? Do you do that? Do you gather the full group? Diana, you're not, you're no. shaking your no. head. No, 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 no. Christina, for alliances for innovation call, I I mean, if we you know um, how to say. If, if if the topic is really really special for us, then and we you know we gather a really nice uh, consortium. Um, uh, you know, uh, valuable, let's say, partnership, then we usually might have one general, uh, let's say, opening uh, meeting uh, when starting to develop the application, discuss some important issues, uh, share some insights on the national needs, on the indicators that we're aiming to develop, um, or have them share their ideas on how to make the project idea more innovative, uh so for the alliances yes for the cooperation partnerships call no okay interesting because i, I i'm used to that that was sort of something we always did you know in in, uh, in the horizon context no interesting um i think i think we more or less because you have mentioned these things so we talked about work package group talked about consortium talking about flow of work um is there anything um on the shaping of the proposal else you want to mention in the collaboration with the partners is there anything else um exchange of information where you have structured things in a specific way or uh, before you put pen to paper from my side i think it's relevant those as i said those information that i cannot get from the internet mm-hmm. um and describe 
I ask my partner, describe your organization, not in the standard format. I know who you are. I don't need to be convinced. Tell me your input, your experience, your reach of the target group, your possibilities of picking up a practice, your possibility of doing a number of things that are relevant and I have no idea about them. Tell me your uh, past projects that I cannot find on Erasmus database, because those are the interesting ones that make specific and relevant explanation of why we are in a partnership. I think that one is essential and the list of your local partners. Who do you work with? Not necessarily that I'm going to bring them as budgeted partners in the overall proposal, but I need to know what is your local network? How many schools do you work with? Uh, how many teachers? Do you have uh, like a social thing or Tell me the, the juicy little things that make you relevant. Okay, you know what? I'm going to break in here because this is important for the people who not necessarily have done this so much. So, in the Erasmus proposals, because now you've said it in between the lines several times, all of you. So, you have in the typical Erasmus proposal, as I can deduct, you have sort of test, you have the cases with a group of partners in each of those cases. Is that correct a batch in each corner is that correctly understood not necessarily so i have one partner per country let's say i'm okay. writing a project for schools and i want to um. develop a, a teacher training material mm -hmm. i'm inviting partners not all my partners are schools mm -hmm. maybe a partner is an ngo mm -hmm. Okay, that doesn't make you ineligible or I'm not going to dismiss you upfront because I also need partners that can technically manage projects and not run them in the ground financially. So it's not only about the heart must be happy. I also need you to be a technical partner. But okay, you're an NGO. Please tell me, how many schools do you work with in your region? Do you have any cooperation agreement with them? Do you cooperate with your school inspectorate, with your school council? Do you have any parents that you usually reach with? Do you have okay. a portfolio to prove this? Or give me something that I can yeah. motivate. I understand. I think uh, for the sake of timing, we should move on to the actual writing. So pen to paper. Because um, we will need to run through the different sections of what we meet people when they sit down and start to write these things, right? We already talked about delegating, writing, how much do you prefer to do yourself? Maybe we just attack the sections. Yeah. So what, so what sections do you have? And here I will be fading out of the first part of this double episode on Erasmus Plus proposal preparation. Second part of this double episode will be released next Monday. Here, Diana, Christina, and Ulla will continue to be sharing their experience on how to best develop an Erasmus Plus proposal. There, we move into the actual writing phase, how to attack the different sections plus the budget. And we will also shortly touch on the actual submission itself. You can look forward to that. And until then, you can check out my website, thegrant.eu, where you will find my full back catalogue of episodes, including the authoritative The Grant introduction to the Erasmus Plus program. That is episode number 52 and 53. See you next week for second half.